the fail on podcast episode zero two two. And then we found as we got bigger, so, you know, crossing 30, 40, 50 employees, you start to cross these boundaries too. Like it goes from like less family, more, you know, villagey type thing that we started to allow, encourage and introduce the idea of like, wherever you do your best work, we encourage that. If, if that means that you should be taking a day or two off a week and going to work from home or from wherever else, because you want to switch up, that's cool. And that was just born out of my own, like I work that way. Welcome to the Fail On Podcast, where we explore the hardships and obstacles today's industry leaders face on their journey to the top of their fields through careful insight and thoughtful conversation. By embracing failure, we'll show you how to build momentum without being consumed by the result. Now, please welcome your host, Rob Nunnery. Hey there, and welcome to the show that believes embracing failure and sharing your honest struggle is the only way to achieve your dreams in a world that only shares successes. We share the struggle by talking to honest and vulnerable entrepreneurs. This is a platform for their stories, and today's story is of Matthew Bertulli. Matthew is the founder of DMAC Media, a company he's built the last nine years, which is now an eight-figure business with close to 100 employees. Matthew's also the co-founder of Palacase, a six-figure, soon-to-be seven-figure e-commerce brand. He's also an angel investor in many industries, including e-commerce brands, a tequila brand, and even a nightclub. He's also just released his first book called Anything Anywhere. We'll be discussing his nine-year journey building DMAC to 100 employees in eight figures, what the early days were like and what led him to actually starting the business in the first place, and the latest company he co-founded, Palacase, and what he aspires that business to be. But first, if you'd like to stay up to date on all the Fail On podcast interviews and key takeaways from each guest, simply go to failon.com and sign up for our newsletter at the bottom of the page. That's failon.com. So your company is a leading authority in digital commerce. Just for a little context, how did you get into e-com? And, yeah, sure. And when was this? DMAX started eight years ago. I grew up retail, though. So Got I, it. for so for me to get into e-com was it was like breathing. Natural uh, progression. Yeah. Like so my family owned retail stores and furniture, home decor, baby. I'm third generation, so like fifty five years, uh, up in northern Ontario. Those stores closed in the early two thousands. I went to school and dropped out for computer science. I'm a software engineer by trade. And then um, I was working for a company called NetSuite in two thousand seven, two thousand eight. Oh yeah, I know NetSuite. So Fair we IPO'd and I left to start this. Yeah. But I've been in like some form of e-com since the late 90s. Got it. And so this what, was just my own thing. And what exactly do you guys do here? What's How do you make money? Yeah. So, I mean, the the like five-word intro yeah. thing is uh, we, help, we help the Clay Bear uh, intro. <laughs> yeah, we help merchants uh, build and grow e-commerce businesses. So we are uh, – the expanded version of that is I work with a lot of manufacturers, a lot of brick-and-mortar retailers mm. to either go online or build a bigger com business. Got it. A lot of the times, it's just somebody coming to us saying, "Hey, I, whatever I do, X million dollars now. Yeah. I want to replatform. I want like new design. Okay. We need, we need a whole bunch of shit. Conversion optimization. Traditional offline businesses, though, for the most part. So we get a, a good chunk of them that are offline. Yeah. Not a lot anymore that are like that have no online. presence at all. Yeah. yeah. It used to be though, like oh, eight yeah. years, especially in Canada. Like when I yeah. when I started here, the idea of starting like being e-com in Canada, there was no e-com in Canada. It's crazy. Years ago. Yeah. It was a joke. Now you have Shopify here. Yeah, I know. And it's like the, one of the largest e-com platforms <laughs> yeah. ever is, is like two kilometers yeah. down the road. Yeah. Eight years ago, it was, I remember like eight years ago, actually talking to Harley and Toby and those guys too. It's like they were getting going as well. It, it's, 
it was a little stupid. Mm. It, we were way early too. Yeah. Like probably the first three years of this business, way too early. In what sense? Market wasn't mature enough. Okay. You know, retailers here, no idea what yeah. this really was. They were unsure. All they'd heard about from the States was everybody was losing money. Yeah. Nobody was like, nobody's actually turning a profit online. It's still a problem. There's a lot of news about a lot of retailers failing or, right. or even e-com only brands that are going under, like yeah. Nasty Gal. It does not help us out that much right. when these businesses fail. Yeah. When or, you say you're early like that, the market wasn't mature enough. How are you getting, a, how are you acquiring clients that early on? Really early on, a lot of word of mouth. So because I came from the retail world, yeah. I, I spoke the language really right. well. Right. So I got a handful of intros out of the gate. So when I left NetSuite, I'd already had a bunch of companies that I was working with at NetSuite that I, I'd been connected to. Got it. Yep. They made some intros. I went out and was like a one-man show. Sure. No just, business plan. No nothing. Just like just, people, I'm going to go talking. and do something in this space. I'm just going to go talk to a bunch of merchants. Yeah. Early on, about a year and a bit in, connected with a company called Magento at the mm -hmm. time. They were just getting going as well out of LA. Yep. Turned out they were a rocket ship. So we did a ton of business with them. And I was the only guy in Canada that could do it. Mm. So that helped. So built a couple big partnerships really early on. About three, four years ago, yeah. got into bed with Shopify. So we are, I'm a big fan of, of channel partners. And I got that from NetSuite because that's how NetSuite built itself. It's like right. half of its business came from partners. Got it. And that was it. Like, there was not a lot of sophistication in the first three, four years. Yeah. A lot of it was word of mouth. Not at all repeatable. Not at all scalable. <laughs> sure. Scary as hell to not know where like your next yeah 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 your next customers coming from. On that note, what did the like when you started DMAC? Was it just you? Did you bring mm -hmm. on employees right out of the gate? Did you no, have capital? I was like, just me. Yeah, my own capital. Okay, how much did you have to put in before you saw a dollar back? So I was paid from like we were cash flow positive day one. Got it. Uh, so mainly because I I can code. Just no, you had no overhead <laughs> from day. No, one. No, I'm the only overhead. Okay. It's just like can I can I pay my mortgage? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I when I. When we IPO'd NetSuite, I'd left and got a couple customers to pay the bills right out of the gate. Mm. And then my wife joined to designer yep. about six, seven months in. Okay. And then my co-founder, our CTO, he joined about a year and a half in. Mm. And that was like the first three people. Got it. And then... And what were you doing in revenue roughly at this point? I think so year one, like which was just my wife and I, I think it was like $80,000. Okay. So... And then yeah, you guys, so was she getting paid either? Or she was just, no, it was just like, that was, it. That, was that was like pay our bills. <laughs> yeah. I think year two, we jumped to three or 400 mm. and then and that's what 800 and on, then, so. yeah. And then we started hiring. Yeah. We, we started hiring and by the end of year two, I think we were five or six people. Mm. Um, and it's sort of like, if you look back over the last eight years, we've gone pretty consistently somewhere between like 30, 30 to 35% up to about 55% year over year growth. Got it. And that, we kind of try and like keep it in that band. Not grow too fast. Yeah. Yep. Try like we have no outside investors. Everything's been bootstrapped. It's all our own cash. Um, was this the first business you started? It was the like, first with real one. Money. Yeah. yeah. What was the biggest, I mean, did you have, after leaving NetSuite, did you have a, any kind of sense of fear starting it? That, oh, like, dude, yeah. I mean, especially coming from like a family of entrepreneurs. Yeah. Like we were in retail a long time and we, like our family definitely failed a few times. Yeah. Retail's um, a tough racket. Though. Oh, shit, yeah. Uh, it's not good. Yeah. <laughs> not, it, you have to really know what you're doing. Yeah. Especially if you're just bricks. That sucks. Today it sucks. Right. Yeah, I think... Is that still possible today? Or you're only... Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I still I know a few. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. They're just... They're good. Like, they're just very good at operating yeah. stores. Sure. And uh, in Canada, stores still work quite well. Like, guys like Amazon, they don't have the penetration here they do in the States. Ah, uh, yeah. 
they're getting there, but mm. it's it's still we're behind. Got it. Yeah, I think the idea of like fear and uncertainty, mm. I don't think it goes away either. Like I don't. I think like there's this. Like you still feel it. Oh shit! Yeah. Yeah. Anybody saying otherwise is like totally yeah. lying. You're full <laughs> of shit, man. I think I I see sort of success and failure as this giant spectrum, and it's highly personal, and you you land somewhere on it, mm. and you're constantly refining what your definition of both is. Sure. Right. So a failure to me today would have been like almost catastrophic in the early days. Yeah. And I may fail a hell of a lot more now than I did early on, but I'm also probably taking more swings. Sure. So I, I think that, you know, from looking back, like we definitely had a whole bunch of small ones because yeah. that we were only ever taking small risks. Right. Because we, we yeah, you don't want to bet the house, right? Yeah. And literally, like yeah. <laughs> when you're starting, it was <laughs> literally bet the, <laughs> the house. house yeah. I think now it's, yeah, it is. It's strange. It never goes away. If you're not, my, I, uh, I'm an avid mountain biker, and mm. our, our, the joke in mountain biking is if, if you're not falling, you're not trying hard enough, sure. right? It's, it's like you're going to leave the bush with some kind of scratch and dent <laughs> right. on you. And uh, I look at it no differently. Like, I, I think that if we're not failing, we're not trying hard enough to yeah. evolve. But then failure is, is super subjective. Oh, it is. Like, I, 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 it's almost like die. failure and success, those two terms are, are, I hate it when someone's like, well, this guy's really successful. I'm like, well, there's by, not a definition of by that. By whose right? definition? Yeah, exactly. Right. By his, hers? What, same, what's with, the, same with failure. I was talking to Dev downstairs, and, you know, before I even had him on the show, he was like, mm. dude, I've got like a really contrarian view on failure because he doesn't think failure is a prerequisite for success. No, it's not. Exactly. It's not was, like this is my first real company. Exactly. And by every, like by most measures, it's it is successful. We're yep. still here eight years later. Exactly. But I think, and like we just talked about, it's the definition, right? Yep. So what's failure? Is failure does it have to be a catastrophe where you don't have this business, you lose this business? No. But I think it's, it's something when something doesn't work to the expectation that you had. Exactly. You know whether your expectation was wrong or not is another right. thing, and whether you learn from that, right? Yeah. So I. Yeah, I'm with I'm with Dev. I think I think he and I have talked about this a few times. Like I I don't go into anything trying to fail. Yeah, I think the idea that failure is a good thing is a little backwards. Right. It's like no, I mean it happens, but you should never be trying to fail quickly. That's not right. But it's like the be, whole startup thing, be which is like, paralyzed by it, right? No, yeah. I mean fear fear of failure is right. is ridiculous, yeah. especially for you know young people with good circumstances. What are you what's, afraid of? What's the worst that can happen? You got to go get a job, man. <laughs> right. Even if it's a shitty job, you're probably... You can pay your bills. You're going to have shelter. You're going to have food. Yeah. yeah. I think like when you look at... If, you're, if your audience is, you know, your typical North American entrepreneur yeah. is probably somebody who's, who's baseline shitty like, uh, scenario is not... better than Is not else. bad. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I kind of... I knew that. Like I left a company that we went public. So, I, I, okay, I have fear of failure. So I, I left, we quit NetSuite, started the company, bought a house, and got married in four mm. months. That was that was my that was my summer. Right to the point that my my father in law, at the wedding in his in his like you know father of the bride speech was like, you know, it's something along the lines of, well, he just quit his job, so that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and because I I just knew I knew like my worst case scenario is I got to go get another. Another job. Did you, have, did you have shares in NetSuite? And yeah. Were you able to? So yeah. you walked away with some cash. Yeah, some cash. Yeah, yeah. yeah and it was good. I wish I would have kept them too, because right. you know, we just got sold, got bought by Oracle right. again. <laughs> I think, I think that I've always had this idea that there's no like the idea of like so the thought of true failure, mm. lose everything, yeah. yo, like ruin your life, is so improbable. 
It's so improbable. And for most people, it's improbable. Yeah. And I've never, I've never made a bet in this business or in any investment I've made or anything where it wasn't somewhat calculated. Yeah. You know, and it wasn't yeah. backed up by some kind of, I can't, oh, totally. you know, like those stories of, of like the person who, who like risked everything and, yeah. you know, bet their whole life like that, the fucking stupid man. Like yeah. you shouldn't do that. Yeah. And I was talking to Saul <laughs> and he was like, that's just purely irresponsible. It's, it's, it's genuinely irresponsible. Yeah. 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 No. Cause we were talking about, you know, whether it's right for somebody that's an employee, right. They have a nine to five, whether it's better for them to burn the ships and just say, screw it. I'm going to go start yeah. something and yeah. leave this job. Or if I should start something on the side, or you do the side hours. hustle thing. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think you, I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, the side hustle is, is the thing now. Cause uh, Gary Vee, right? He's yeah. I'm, I'm pretty it. sure that half my staff here has got some <laughs> kind of side hustle and I, I hope they do. Yeah. Okay. So, so you promote that or not promote it, but you encourage. Oh yeah. 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 I, so friend of our, mine messaged me on Facebook two nights ago. Uh, do you know Alex Icon? Yeah. yeah, so Alex sends me a message. He notices that one of the people he's worked for me is no longer here. Mm. And he's like, what happened? That guy was with you for like yeah. three years. I'm like, ah, oh, just, you know, he had an opportunity to go start something on his own. Mm. I'm like, we can't, I can't discourage that. That's awesome. That's so what you I'm believe like, in, right? Go knock yourself out, yeah. man. And uh, so my, my philosophy with people here has always been, I liked what sort of McKinsey and Boston Consulting Group and those guys did, you know, 20, 30 years ago, which was they wanted to create this massive alumni network. Yep. And people would come and go like they they do a tour of duty at McKinsey and then they would, you know, go out in the world and come back in 10 years. Mm. So I kind of look at this place similarly. I, I, I would love it if, if there's people that started here or came in here, left to go try something, did something, came back, you know, learned something new, yep. went out. Like I'm, I'm cool with that. Yep. I don't expect people to stay in one place for ever. You just don't expect them to, to do the side hustle during work hours. Yeah. And I, you know what? And even if you did and you still got your job done here, I don't, I don't care. So, so, yeah. It's performance, right? Yeah. If you get the job done, who cares? Yeah. The, the idea of like an hour of work is, is what's the, the goal is stupid. Yeah. It's, 100%. it's some kind of outcome. Do you, do you operate your company in, in like with that in mind? Like, can your, let's say you have an employee that's hundred percent crushing their job. Yeah. Performance is a 10 out of 10, 11 out of 10. Do you care if they dictate what they do, if they want to stay home for the week because they're crushing what they're doing? No, you don't care. Yeah. I mean, you, I mean, we have almost a hundred employees. You walk through this place right now. Yeah. I'd, I'd be surprised if there's 50 here. Mm. How do you, so how do you balance that with like culture? Right. Cause it, there mm -hmm. seems to be a balance there where, you know, if you do have an MP office or have half the office here, maybe it's not, the bond's not as tight as it could be. Yeah. So we didn't start out that way. Okay. So I, either we were lazy or we were just, <laughs> so we, we depended very heavily on strong culture right from day one. Mm. It's hard to define it, but it was, we've always had this very familial type thing going on here. A lot of our staff, especially the ones that have been here for six, seven years, eight oh, yeah. years, you know, they go to each other's weddings. They like, mm. they're, they are friends. Family um, almost. Yeah. So that's, that's, that was like the bedrock of this place. Yeah. And then we found as we got bigger, so, you know, crossing 30, 40, 50 employees, you start to cross these boundaries too. Mm. Like it goes from like less family, yeah. more, you know, village-y type thing right. that we started to allow, encourage and introduce the idea of like wherever you do your best work, we encourage that. If, yep. if that means that you should be taking a day or two off a week and going work from home or from wherever else because mm. you want to switch up, yep. that's cool. And that was just born out of my own like I work that way. Sure. I don't do well if I'm in the same place for five oh, days. The same way. Yeah. I, I need to, I work from home for two days. I go to like a client's office. I'll yeah. work out of theirs. Uh, anywhere else, 
that gives me an environment shift mm. is good for my creative juice. Yep. So I do it. So it'd be wrong of me to, to look, I work this way and why shouldn't I encourage yeah. other people? The culture impact is, is interesting in that there's usually a lot of people here because most people like to come into the office. Mm. It's usually like Mondays and Fridays. There's less people, yep. you know, just balancing out weekends, especially right. in the summers with oh, crazy yeah. cottage country. Yeah, what is that? I, hear, I, have, I have a lot of friends up here that... It's like, like they all the, go to the Hamptons cottage. for New York. Okay, got it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like our Hamptons. Same idea. It's like a summer house. Sure. But I, I, I do think that you have to, you have to try and balance or, or blend people's lives with, mm. with like personal... Like I don't believe in balance. I just think like there's some kind of blend. Integrated living. Yeah. Like. yeah. So, you know, some days there's nobody... There's very few people here. Other days there's tons of people here. Yep. We do a lot of stuff like organized things, monthly events, socials, that Got kind of it. thing that get people together. Yep. Just to continue to build those bonds. Sure. What's been, so you've taken it back then mm-hmm. from just you, your wife starting out to a hundred, hundred employees. That's a really, you know, from a lot of people I've talked to going from yourself to 10 employees, not crazy, 10 to 20, a little bit of a different skill set. Sure. But to a hundred, how have you had, how have you had to have grown to be able to run a company of that size, and has I mean, I would, I would have probably still have it. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, I'm probably still missing a lot, <laughs> a lot of pieces. There's so many places to go with that question. Well, I guess what's been the toughest challenge in terms of oh boundaries, like especially so. My wife, uh, we retired her out of the business about three years ago. Sure, we have an 18 month old daughter now, so Got the it. timing is pretty pretty bang on. Yeah. So some, you know, I because we worked together for a long time, not knowing. There wasn't a whole lot of boundaries between work mm. and life because we were both in it and it yeah. was our business. Now that she's out of it, it's, it's trying to figure out like, you know, I shouldn't, br- I don't bring things home anymore, right? Or or even if I'm working from home, there's, right. there's got to be some boundaries, especially with a kid now. Trying to, I think that... But what does that mean? Or like, so you're not talking to her about what's going on in the business because you don't want to stress Sometimes, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like dual, like, so now, you know, she's got a very different you know, function in that she's oh, the yeah. primary caregiver for our child and totally. I'm the primary caregiver for the business. Right. I, so that's, that's part of it. I think the other big one for me was just learning to let go of things. I, and, and I, that was, that's, that's still a work in progress, but I had a, I'm part of EO and one of my forum mates a few months ago, I think it was a few months ago, said something along the lines of like, it, when somebody does something 80% of what you would have done, but you didn't have to do it, call that a hundred percent because you didn't have to do it. Right. And I, I think that you, as you scale and especially in team size, right. There's like, you know, I'm a really bad manager. So I knew that early on, I got to hire managers cause that's, yeah. that's where I'm going to fall down. I'm a good leader. I'll stay there. So I like the tactical level stuff. I had a lot of advisors kind of t- telling me what to expect, yep. but the personal stuff around just wanting things done a certain way or that kind of shit. Mm. I think that trips everybody up yeah. initially. Especially as you start now, I now it's second nature, and I, I mean, I say that, but then every now and again I see something and I'm like, that's not at all what I would have done. Sure, um, it drives you nuts, but it, I didn't have to do it, so that was so like take the it. win. Yeah, got it. Or if it's just wrong, and I'll yeah, correct I'll, it. Yeah. So do you do you have you tried to grow? Have you tried to grow that skill set of being a better manager? Or have you just said fuck it? I'm going to focus on what I'm good at. Yeah, I'm just terrible at it. Yeah, yeah. So like you just organizational skills are damn near zero. I'm um, right there with you. So yeah, no, I'm just, I'm a much better leader. So I have a, a good management team mm. that we've invested in and built out yeah. and continue to do so. I'm grateful for that because that's, that's actually like, and it's also, it's one of those things that 
I think that if I was doing it, my my likelihood of screwing up would be so much higher. Sure. Just because it's not that's not, not your my that's not my skill. It's not my superpower. Not yep. at all. Yep. What is your superpower? I'm I'm pretty good at seeing around the corner. Mm. Like trends. Yeah, trends and like especially in this industry, I I spend a lot of time on it. So steering the ship, this ship in particular, and then you know we're pretty embedded in a bunch of e- like retailers and econ businesses, and just making sure that what we're what we're focusing on is the right thing at the right time. Do you have an example of like something that you kind of sense coming, and how you were able to maybe guide the ship a little bit that way? Yeah, I got a bunch of stuff. Like what I mean by I so what I'm really good at is is knowing when not to do something. Mm. Um, so I'm not a big I'm not a big trend follower or jumper. So you don't right? follow so like, news no. constantly. And, God, no. Yeah. And especially uh, like look at Facebook and commerce. They're on their like, sixth iteration of it. Mm. And I think we're just in the last 12 months have we really been getting into it. Because the four or five iterations before that, they threw away. Sure. You know, whereas a lot of my competitors were like, it's funny watching them spin their wheels on it. Yeah. Like, it's too early, guys. Mm. That's interesting because I think it's contrary to like what for – Gary Vanderchuk, right? yeah. he's all about being on the you know testing on the everything latest early, thing, yeah. right? Whatever the platform is, he wants to be on. He wants to be like the early adapter. Yeah. So and and that's good for him personally. Yeah. For but his if you're personal ta- brand, right? For his personal yeah. brand, I think it would be difficult to push that message for say like a mid market retailer mm. or a mid market brand. Not your what, big CPG guy who flush yet, right? fifteen million down the toilet. Yeah, yeah. They don't give a shit. Of course. They don't know where half that money goes anyway. But for those clients that. Every dollar matters. Yeah, owner operator. Yeah, where their business isn't about a big number; it's about bottom line. Mm. It's a different game, right? Yeah. Like they, the owner operator needs to really be careful about where they deploy resources, time, and money. So you know, there, there's, there's, and in, in e-commerce in the last sort of six, seven years, it's really started to evolve. Especially coming out of the financial crisis, there was a whole bunch of new business models: mm. flash sale, private sale. Yeah. Um, your Groupon clones, there's a bajillion of them. Right. All of those, we stayed away from all those models, mm. right? And largely because I, I came from this world and I knew, okay, those business models exist right now because of a giant oversupply of product because of the financial crash. Sure. Once that oversupply is gone, that business model is done because no manufacturer wants to see their shit sold for 90% off. Right. Like, that's not the business yeah. they're in. So, And that happened, right? Yep. Your fab.coms, your all those Groupons, private sale guys, they yeah, all crashed yeah. once the supply chain died. Um, and, and there was just no more excess inventory. So I, I, we've, we've tend to avoided a bunch of, you know, chase your tail stuff in this industry. Yeah. And we stick to, I'm a big fan of doing things at the right time. Mm-hmm. So like even, you know, like there's going to be a big push here coming soon of like virtual and augmented reality. Yeah. Yep. And you're going to see some, there's going to be news about, you know, Nordstrom or somebody building a virtual reality store. Yep. And I'm going to go and then, you know, you got a bunch of people who are going to read that and be like, shit, we got to build a VR store. And I'm like, nope, not for another freaking three or four years. So like, your strategy is to like, let them do that for three years, get the kinks out. And then once it's a mature product, yeah, kind of look at it. Yeah. Cause I, I largely work with midsize owner operated companies. Yeah. I do have a couple, like we have some guys that are much bigger brands that love to try yes. out the latest stuff. Good for them. Yeah. But, if you're going to give somebody advice, it's not that, you know, it's right. like, there's a right. bunch of low hanging fruit that you can do now that is going to increase your probability of success right. in the short term, yep. which is going to let you get to the long term. Whereas if you, for most companies to chase 
that stuff, you're just, you're dooming yourself from the start. Totally. You're pro I'm a, I'm a yeah, engineer, man. Everything for me is probabilities, right? Yeah. Highest yeah, yeah. probability of a good outcome. Do it. So calculator risk. Everything. Mm. Everything, everything. It's, it gets almost annoying. <laughs> you know, like I'm just, I'm not a, I'm not a like big, bold entrepreneur. Like I, like, I could you have ever taken like VC? No, I bet you, I, I'm not saying I on that. I won't ever in the future, yeah. but historically, no, because I know the odds. Like I, when I, I look at, I've done all, I've looked at all the data and all yeah. the math and I look at it, I'm like, I'm just going to buy a fucking lottery ticket. <laughs> right. right. I'll do, I'll buy one lottery ticket every week for 10 years. <laughs> and my outcome is probably, you know, like the, the probability of me winning yeah. some money is, is better. Right. <laughs> I actually think there was a big VC who did do, I did, I did a long blog, but I wish I could remember what it was, but it was like your odds of building a billion dollar business are this. Yeah. And I've never had the, the idea or the thing that I thought that could be a billion dollar right. business. I don't think anybody actually does, right? They, yeah. they sit around trying to think of it and don't get started because I, of that. I think some people have ideas that they're like, they set out and they know it's big, it's bold, mm -hmm. like the big social impact yeah. or, or like, I think Zuckerberg early on probably had a pretty good idea that like he wants to connect the world. Mm. That's a big ass idea, <laughs> yeah. right? I never had that. Right. So for me, business was about other things like freedom and, and control yep. and longer term planning, like stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I knew that that wasn't, I wasn't ever, I was likely never going to build a very giant company. Right. On the note of freedom, like time freedom, you mean, mm. I'm guessing, or financial, both? Both. All kinds. So what I always run into, and sure, what I always run into, like, so you have a, you have a decent sized company now. Mm. How do you, it's not a lifestyle business per se. I wouldn't call it that. VC definitely would though. A VC, yeah. a VC definitely this, would. This That's is a totally point. a lifestyle business to a venture capitalist. <laughs> yeah. That's a great point. But how do you balance that time frame? Or do you feel like you actually do have time freedom or do you feel like you're kind of tied here? Uh, no, I mean, I think I've put a lot of time in the last two years, my own time and money actually in, in building out better leadership and better management in the mm. company so that I wasn't here. Is that like I'm in the goal? office two days a week. Yeah. Uh, and it's not that I'm not working the rest of the days, right. but yeah, like come summertime, I'm on my bike probably just as mm. much as I am working yep. and it's, it's designed that way. It wasn't always that way. Like the first five years was, was a lot of hustle. Right. Like it was totally way more work than anything else. Yeah. And I don't regret that. I just, I always knew that I'm like, okay, there's, you know, you, it, you have to put your time in, mm. right? Like my grandfather told me that. Yeah. You got to put your time in. Everybody thinks you can do it in a year and two years. And it's because there. there's a lot of bullshit in the media. It's like, learn how this guy built a $10 million Overnight. business in two years. I'm like, fuck off, man. Like that's not the message that you that should happened. be teaching, right. you know, like new entrepreneurs yeah. is, is patience and grit and, you know, resiliency. And like, mm -hmm. these are characteristics that I think when you look at, yeah, the, the 10 year overnight success is a really big one. Um, yeah. You know, and if you look at like all the data, there was a, a, a startup data study done a couple of years ago, which looked at like the average, like the demographics of entrepreneurs mm. and like how many of them were like the average successful or entrepreneur that built a business over a certain size was someone like 45 years old. I believe it. Yeah. Right. It's not a, well, all those character characteristics you just named, patience, grit, et cetera. Like, I don't feel like that's the younger generation right now. Right. Cause they, it's all instant gratification. I, but I, I, I don't blame them because I think no, that's it, what you hear. Definitely not. You know, like right? if you look at like what sells in the media, like if you're going to read TechCrunch or Mashable or like one of these guys and you're in the Valley, this is the thing. It's like move as fast as possible, yeah. raise a bunch of money. I think the idea of slow is, is starting to come back. Mm. There are a lot of good companies out there that push, that are starting to, to push the message of 
Like you can build evergreen businesses. Yeah. You don't need to, you don't need to try and get out as quickly as possible. Mm. Like that's probably not the best goal actually. Right. right? To build a company, to, like to go into it knowing where the exit is. Yeah. There's always, if you build a great business, there will always be an exit. Yeah. That was, that's, we set out to build this company. I'm like, I don't think that we're going to sell this, but if we do a great, if we build a great business, there will be opportunities to, to sell it if we want to. Yep. Or there's other exits. Like you just go get yourself a board spot and right. have other people build a management it. team that runs it yeah. and you benefit from that. What's your ultimate goal with, with DMAC? I saw the same thing. I saw I, when I started this company, I, I went from, I, I landed at NetSuite and then we were less than 200 employees. Mm. I think they're like 5,000 now. And, but I'd come from a company that was 30. And I'm, I'm like, I just want to build a business that I want to go to work at. And that was, that was always my personal thing with this place. Um, I still like coming in here. Like, I, right. I love it. Yeah. I, for me, it's, it's some, some amount of impact. So I like helping retailers because I watched my family struggle. So I love, I love that part of it. The space is really interesting to me. My, my team is great. So there's like this great connection there. Yep. I, there's, it's a bunch of things. I don't have this like one... I am doing this for blah. Sure. Sure. You know, for me, it's just this mixed bag of stuff that I enjoy most days. <laughs> there are days where I want to throw something off the top of the building, maybe myself, but like those are, those are days, you know? Yeah. And I think that the ups and downs is, I just expect it. I was going to ask, so it's nothing's rainbows and butterflies all the time, right? Oh, like God, entrepreneurship's no. probably harder than anything else. You can go get a job and have security and oh, not yeah. worry about it it at all right yeah you could worry about losing your job but if you're doing a good job you don't have to really worry about it mm -hmm. whereas in entrepreneurship it's up to you like it's lonely as hell yes yeah, uh, which is why like things like mastermind talks yeah. are so awesome yeah because you end up yeah you, there's this thing that you have in common with other people there's not Definitely. a lot of them yep you know and it's especially like you know, one of the things like the reason i joined eo last year was uh, i joined eo and i joined eo quantum leap to try and find other guys or girls that were building companies that were bigger yep that wasn't like a five man operation. Cause I had, sure. I had, I have different problems that I did when I was 10 people. Yeah. Like HR shit and <laughs> you know, like legal and like, like stuff that's just constantly there now. Yeah. Um, cause there's just more of it. Right. Right. So seeking out your peers was, is, and what it, it was, and is still a big part of this. When you're starting out, did you have kind of that network of people you could lean on, get advice from? Yeah. Or did you much to... larger now, sure. obviously, but you definitely did. Yeah, I think totally an unfair advantage. Like, who who helped you get started? Like, um, who, who did who would you go to if you had a question? Yeah, the first name that pops into my so uh, there's a guy named Bernie Lee uh, who he had he actually has recently sold his last company. Um, he was in the solar space, but when we were starting this company, he was actually at Inovia Capital, which was a venture capitalist uh, in Montreal. Okay. And we were, you know, and he was a friend of my co-founders, mm. uh, like childhood friend. Got it. So, you know, we were building this place and early on, we would just tap him for everything. We're like, what do you think of this? What do you think of this? Because he was in his position where he was evaluating a hundred companies a week. Yeah. You know, like that, the volume of deals sure. at that time was just so big that his perspective was wider than ours and yeah. we wanted wide perspective until we had our own. And then we, in the Toronto's, like we were coming up. Right around the same time as a whole bunch of other companies. So I joined early on. I was one of the, the first like, 12 people to join this thing called Lean Coffee Toronto. Mm. She has like 2,000 members now. Yeah. And it was just other business owners that were all, we would meet once, uh, once a week on Tuesday mornings at somebody's office. And somebody would bring coffee. Yep. And we, would, the, we were all talking about the Lean Startup, that yep, book sure. at the time. 
That was big at that time, yeah. Yeah. So that what, what ended up happening, though, was there was this group of, of uh, people that were all building companies in and around the same, we were all around the same size, mm-hmm. you know, similar industries, everything was digital or tech, yep. all in a local geography sure. that we wound up helping each other quite a bit. It's awesome, yeah. So Every now and then we still have an alumni dinner too, which is kind of fun. So you had to seek that out and... Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah but I, I I, think, you know, that was... I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I can't remember who told me that, but like, you just have to know that you don't know everything. Like, not even close, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, not even, not even anywhere near... And when you're right. a young guy, like I was 20... I was in my late 20s at the time, 27, 28... Nine, somewhere, I don't know, somewhere in there. So you had a, but you had a fair amount of business experience at that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I was working. Like yeah. I, I had been. I'm a like grade eight university dropout, right? So like, yeah. I was three months in and like screw this. I took a, <laughs> I took a job. It was dot com boom. Yeah. But I've been working since I was 16. Mm. Like I got a job um, at an engineering company when yeah. I was 16 years old. Like I was in high school. Yeah. So I, I, I've always been working in a professional capacity, but right. the entrepreneur thing was fairly new. Mm. But I, I was just, I don't know, I guess I, I've always just liked to ask for help because yeah. I'd rather learn from somebody else's mistakes and do it on my own. It's hard for a lot of people to, to ask for help. Oh, for sure. You, know, you don't want to inconvenience other folks and like everybody, everybody's busy these days. I think, it, I think it's <laughs> two ends of the spectrum. Some people will send templated emails out to a sure. 100 people to try to get a mentor. Yeah. You know what I mean? And some people will just refuse and, and try to figure out on their own. Yeah. For somebody that's not necessarily surrounded by people with an entrepreneurship background mm-hmm. or business owners, what would you recommend for somebody to try to reach out and get some guidance? Like how I, like, like if somebody was going to come to you, what would actually make you pay attention and not just ignore the email? You know, it's amazing. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, just more than an email, right? Mm-hmm. Like I actually, I'm pretty sure my assistant just deletes all that. <laughs> uh, Cause I don't ever see them. Right. But when somebody, reaches out either it's like they phone in or you know they'll hit me on some one of the social networks or something i'll typically at least look and respond Mm. but i think that that you'd be amazed at how few people probably don't even reach out yeah that that still like i i would say and i i know a lot of entrepreneurs now and it's amazing how many people like yeah no nobody ever And, and in the public profiles yeah right they might reach out and ask for like tweet or like some kind of shout out or something right, right. but nothing no of questions of substance mm. yeah it's like some kind of help around promotion or some shit or like they want access to one of my customers is probably the biggest one that oh, I oh yeah i can imagine no i think you know it's, there's never been a better time to be an entrepreneur because like the, yeah. the amount of resource available now versus is amazing 30 years ago oh yeah, it's cr- yeah even five years yeah, ago, right or 10 true. years ago um i think i think like to your comment earlier like somebody like a gary v the, the thing that I, I don't agree with everything that he yeah. says. Uh, I don't think everybody does. But what I do like is that he's a motivating force for a lot of people. Oh, yeah. And then I think it's up to the person to seek out the kind of entrepreneur they want to be. Mm. And knowing that that's, it isn't, there's not one flavor. It's knowing who you are, right? It's taking the time. Which is harder work than, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's probably the hardest always work. always a work in progress. But yeah, I think, you know, don't, don't buy into the hype is the thing that yeah. I've just always, I've tried to do like, I just try and avoid the hype. Yep. Take the message, but decode it how you want to. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it, like on this note of people reaching out, if somebody did reach out to you and you could tell like there's something to them, they had yeah. potential yep. and they had a burning desire to create something for themselves and mm-hmm. start a business like you did with DMAC eight years ago. And you could only give them 
you had five minutes with them, you could only give them kind of one directive, one action item as a step one to go do, what would you tell them? So they haven't started yet? They haven't. They don't know what business to start. They have no idea, but they... Uh, like, first thing, make sure you're going to sell something somebody wants. Sure. <laughs> Simple as that, right? Like, yeah. God. I don't... I <laughs> Don't I don't, create some product that you don't know if it'll sell. Yeah. That, that's... I can't... See, it happens too often. I even think Dan Martell said something about this the other day. Like, I, I was watching a video from him. Mm. That was one of the points he made. I'm like... I feel like that's one of those like no shit Sherlock like, <laughs> but you know I've I've we we've done some angel investing over the years yeah. and it's amazing at how many pitches I've seen where I'm like, are you sure that's actually a problem like right. that somebody's gonna pay yeah. for that yeah you know and people and, trying to solve problems that don't exist yeah 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 I think that that's like start there <laughs> everything else yeah. after that's a lot easier so how can you find out if it's something that people actually need or why. Yeah, I think there's there's a number of ways depending on what you're trying to build. Um, sure. You know, with software, there's like the whole product market fit things, mm-hmm. so like customer development. Talk to your potential customers. It's not that like that's, that's number it, one, right? man. So go talk um, to people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that was like the thing that attracted me to the lean startup model really early on yeah. was that simple thing. I'm like, so, how novel so a concept? Simple, but nobody did it, right? Right. Yeah. And then codify it. There's a system built around it. Um, so that that's still like. That's my number one thing. Unless yeah. you're one of those people that has a, like this big gigantic vision and you're trying to solve like, I don't know, like world hunger or some yeah. shit. Yeah. That's, that's a different game. That's a different bear. Yeah. yeah. That's a totally different thing. Go for it, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, somebody has to. Yeah. 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 I'm just and, not that one. And nothing. Yeah. And somebody can tell you, there's nothing anybody could tell you that no. could help you. You just have to go no. do that. Yeah. yeah. So who's, might be a tough question. Who's had the most profound impact on your life? If you had to name one person, probably that, my wife. Okay. Yeah. Uh, just she did. She did not come from a family of entrepreneurs. Like she came from a family of like everybody has a, like a unionized job. Mm. I I think she provided a lot of balance, personality balance, and thinking. Ah. And I'm a I'm a fairly ambitious, positive, like everything is rosy person, and she is very good at at like keeping me grounded and keeping me like, have you thought it all the way through? Like she asks the uh, questions that I was not asking myself and she yeah. always does and yeah. always did. And then te- like, you know, just introducing different values to me, like taking, taking time to actually stop and appreciate something that came like from her being present. Yeah. Being present, being grateful, there are a bunch of things that I think I've, I've gotten from her that I, I probably should give her more credit for. But yeah, I, I like that's, I think that has made me a much better entrepreneur than anything tactical or like anything that's like specific to business. Gotcha. Yeah. So just kind of the self-awareness. To yeah. The- yeah. The self-awareness thing, totally her and yeah. by far the most valuable thing for me to, to, to try and culture and nurture yeah. over years. Yeah. It still is like it, it to the point now where I'm, I'm getting pretty good at like really early on. I'm like, yeah, that's not for me. Like I'm, I, I'm not going to be good at that. So you or understand yourself more, and you understand a lot what more you now. Like. Yeah, I mean, like I'm coming up on 36 years old yeah. now, and it's I still don't feel like I know jack shit. Right. But I, like, when I look at my 24, 25 year old self, yeah. I'm like, okay, you know, I thought I knew everything at that age. <laughs> right. You know, now I'm, I definitely, I know I don't. Yeah. And I still, but I don't. I'm not yet wise. Mm. You know, I think that's still a couple decades away. <laughs> but I think the self awareness thing has proven to be like really useful. Mm particularly in scaling the business because I know what I'm not good at and I'm okay asking for help. And you know who to surround yourself Yeah, with. so there's like less ego, know what you're not good at, not, not good at, yeah. go ask for help there. 
what are you most excited with with DMAC moving forward? Like what's on the horizon for you that has you really pumped? Right now, so we've we've been building our own brands, which is kind of mm. cool. So we're last year launched or we acquired half of a company out in uh, Saskatchewan mm. called Pila. Okay. So we make a, it's a guy out there who came up with a uh, compostable plastic, mm. right? So it's made from plants. Um, so right now we're actually making, we make iPhone cases out of this stuff, but it's kind of, so I'm a bit of a tree hugger. Um, so it's a, a, it's a personal thing for me, but I love the idea of like taking products that you can't make or that you're, that are going to be sort of disposable yeah. and keeping that from winding up in landfills and oceans. Mm. Right. Awesome. So like yeah. compostable plastic. Right. So we're, so the DMAX sort of vision for the next sort of decade is, is we're going to kind of home grow our own brands, whether we acquire them or we build them. Um, in very specific niches that are are personally like we're we're really interested and passionate about. Mm, nice. um, it's taking what we've learned and what we do and applying it to some other things. You know, typically and like with Pila, it's not exactly the the niche that a lot of people are going to rush into because yeah. it's not a giant market yet. Right. But you know, that's a business that's growing twenty to forty percent a month. That's awesome. Right. And yeah. and that's it's, it's like movement based too. It's all online. Yeah. Um, we're going to be getting distribution going soon, mm. so like wholesale. Yep. But that's a that's a movement. There's you know we, we're creating fans too, and it's right. so fun to watch, where people aren't like they they buy into the vision yep. of the business. That's not just a product, right? That's just not commoditized. Mm. It's a freaking iPhone case, which is about as commodity <laughs> exactly. as it gets. But like if you read the reviews that we get and we publish them all, mm. and the like, we get user generated content without asking for it. That's awesome. People just send this shit into us. Because they're so pumped about it. And I think so that's an important point on like social impact, right? Mm. On doing something good for, for others and the yep. planet. Yep. And a lot of like nowadays, I'm sure you've seen this a lot, is that it's gotten to be almost a gimmick, right? Yeah. For a lot of companies. Yeah. They'll, you know. They try and layer it in somehow. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Like, oh, we do this. But you can tell, you can tell if it's like honest and yep. coming from a good place or yep. if it's just a gimmick. Yeah. There's like, you know, that word authentic, but I think the... You, most consumers now are savvy enough that mm. they can always tell if it's like you're a brand trying to introduce a cause. Yeah. Whereas if you're a, a brand that is a cause. Right. Um, yeah, it's a good point. There's a good differential there. There is a chance. There's a totally difference. Pila was, was started. And so Jeremy's the guy that started it. Um, and then we acquired half of it just because we bought into the, like I personally bought into the vision. Mm. And for him, it was like his story is he was on vacation in Hawaii with his kids and his kids were picking up plastic off the beach. And he's like, what the hell? Like, why is there so much freaking yeah, plastic in right. the sand? And then when you look into it, you realize there's a shitload of plastic in the ocean. And if you're a waterside guy, like, it, it oh, becomes yeah. a very real problem. And in Ontario, we, we, we grew up on lakes here. And we have an insane amount of lakes. And it's the same problem. It's like a lot of garbage that winds up in our lakes. So I heard about this. And I'm like, this is a, what a crazy concept. Like, how many damn phone cases get sold in a year? And they're all made out of plastic or silicone or something that's just not going to biodegrade at all. Yeah. And this guy came up with a material. He's like, well, I started with a phone case because it was the one that I, it was just forefront. But I'm like, there's so many applications oh, for yeah. this. Built a lot. And that's what I bought into. So I think. So is that the vision for the, for, for the company? Yeah. So the vision is to replace plastic. Awesome. That's a huge vision. Yeah. And it's, it's, I'm, but I'm slow burning it. Like it's not a, I'm, I'm, because the market from what we're seeing is there's a lot of people that are, are very much. They buy into that, yeah. but they're small in number, but they're loud in voice. Mm. And I think this this other idea that I'm like, if I'm going to build something right now, I'm, I really want to build to an extreme audience, yeah. right? So they're, 
you know, they are extreme in their views. It's like raving but fans. They, but they will drag the average with them. Yeah. It, it'll take time, but they will totally drag their friends with them. And we see it. Like, our referral program kicks in a lot of activity. Like, it's really interesting to watch. Like, once you get one of them and they're highly opinionated and they care about the environment and they tell everybody. Yeah. It takes no effort at all to get them to tell everybody. Right, right. But that's – but I think that that only works because we're really, really genuine in that, yeah, look, we're, we're just – we're trying to make a better version of this. We have yeah. a case that the, our saying – our sort of our company motto is believe in better, mm. right? So we've, we make a case. We stamp that on it. That's and awesome. it's – it works. People yep. – and it works because it is. It's real. It's not – like it's not a gimmick. It's just, it, just genuine. It comes through, right? Yeah. Yeah. People can sense, sniff yeah. out the bullshit. We genuinely care. Like it's, <laughs> it's a crazy idea. It's <laughs> yeah. a simple business concept, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, man. Well, I want to respect your time, so I will let you run. But uh, thanks so yeah. much for sitting down, and thanks for hosting us in your office. It's yeah, man. It's cool. Office. It's good to have you. Yeah. All right. Until Enjoy next time. Enjoy the rest of your day. You too, man. See ya. <laughs> all right. So you can find Matthew at Ember Tooley on Twitter. That's at Ember Tooley. And of course, all the links and resources Matt and I discussed, including more information on his companies, DMAC Media and Palet Gaze, can be found at the page we created especially for this episode. That'll be at failon.com slash 022. And next week's a fun one. We'll be sitting down with Dan Martell next week. He's an award-winning Canadian entrepreneur, has exited three different venture-backed startups, with the most recent one being Clarity, which was acquired by Startups.co. In 2012, he was named Canada's top angel investor, he completed over 33 investments with companies like Udemy, Intercom, and Unbounce. We'll be discussing how he got a start in business and why being in jail actually led to a completely new perspective on life as a youngster. And just talking with Dan, you can tell he loves what he does. He loves helping people. He's an amazing guy. You don't want to miss it. And if you are finding value in the podcast and it has the wheels turning a bit, please email me at robertfellon.com and let me know what your biggest struggle is. And as I continue to build out Fellon with the simple goal of helping people embrace failure, share their struggle, and actually decide once and for all to create change in their lives, I'd be really grateful if you could help me with a couple things. Just subscribing to the podcast takes a single click and helps me out a lot. When you click the subscribe button and leave a rating and quick review, this helps the podcast simply be discovered by more people. To rate and review the podcast super easy, just go to failon.com slash iTunes or failon.com slash Stitcher. That's all for this episode of the Fail On Podcast. For more resources, show notes, and action items to help you find success in your failures, sign up for our mailing list at failon.com. For more actionable inspiration, we'll catch you next time right here on the Fail On Podcast.